it just continues. My, oh my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Sue Bird's building. You bet. She's on punches right now. Back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. I am your host, as always, Charles Hammaker. Uh, you can see here that I am not joined by Bell Garcia on your screen. Uh, Bell and Matt Bermudez are one of our photographers, and uh, the couple there, uh, their dog Rod, is currently dealing with some sort of pretty serious health-related issues. So we want to, you know, make sure that we're uh, keeping our thoughts with Bell and Matt and Rod there. It's obviously a pretty serious situation. Uh, Bell will join us whenever that time is right. Um, but until then, you know, th thinking about them pretty seriously, um, you know, I know that this is what we do here, but I want to make sure that Bell is uh, well thought of and, you know, hopefully everything goes well on their part. So uh, we'll do ours. We'll get through this show here today with all the sort of, uh, it's, it's a pretty hefty week of Seattle sports news that we got to go through from Seahawks to, yes, there's Mariners stuff. Um, which is, you know, a little bit controversial. Uh, the trade that took place, uh, there's some storm updates. The Sounders made a GM hiring. The Kraken uh, hit seven games in their win streak, um, but would that would end there. Uh, the Rain made a signing, and we have some injury-related news. Thankfully, it's not too bad. Uh, there were some Seawolves signings as well, so there's a bunch to go through, so we'll do our best to get through all of that here um, uh, as we take a look. Firstly, at the Seattle Seahawks and their past game down in L.A. So it would be their second time in L.A. as they played in SoFi Stadium, having beaten the Chargers earlier in the year down there. Uh, secondly, they would come down here on December 4th to beat the L.A. Rams 27 to 23. A late touchdown uh, with under a minute left by D.K. Metcalf would win the game for the Seahawks. Seattle would hold on. Cody Barton would collect a game ceiling interception to beat the Rams and that would do it uh, sending Seattle to a seven and five record so this was a big one uh, not only because it's a sort of divisional game but also considering the fact um, that the Rams have always been a sort of tough team here over uh, the time that Sean McVay has been the head coach you're also battling for a playoff spot now that you know you took the two game losing streak um and the 49ers have caught up to you. You know, there's a bunch of teams that are in the hunt currently uh, for that wild card spot. And now you have to keep pace with them and try to stack some wins up so that you can meet, reach the postseason, which is not something that I thought that we would be talking about. I know that um, at the beginning of the year, seven games was what I thought that this team would reach. And they've they, we're already at that point, you know, uh, with some games to play. So I'm happy with that. But um Things aren't going to get easier, unfortunately. So let's look at some offensive players of the game here. I went with 
wide receiver DK Metcalf, eight receptions, 127 yards, and one touchdown. That would be a game winner with Jalen Ramsey draped all over his back after the two went at it throughout the game. Uh, Bell went with Geno Smith, completing 28 of his 39 attempts, 367 yards through the air. That's the seventh time in Geno's career that he has top 300 passing yards uh, in a game. Three touchdowns on the day and one interception, which could put some air quotes by it, as we'll uh, we'll address that in a second. But let's get to defensive players of the game here. Uh, Bell went with cornerback Tariq Woolen. Seven tackles on the day, uh, only one of them solo. One interception and three pass deflections. Woolen, with his sixth pick of the year, sets a rookie franchise record for interceptions. Uh, I went with outside linebacker Uchenna Nwosu. Four solo tackles on the day. Seven, I mean, two sacks, pardon me, seven sacks would be a lot, looking at seven tackles for Woolen. Uh, Nuosu had one tackle for loss and three QB hits. So let's just look back here. Um, we'll look at offensive and defensive, just a quick reflection on those. I thought the DK, you know, had a big game. He had 110 yards for receiving uh, throughout that fourth quarter. And, you know, to get that uh, final one, on Jalen Ramsey, of all people, was a pretty big deal. I'm sure not only for the team to get the touchdown, but for him and the battles that he has had with Ramsey. Uh, Gino played a great game. Pocket did not give him much to work with. He was under duress a lot against, again, a D-line. The Rams were without Matt Stafford, Jalen Ramsey. Their O-line was banged up. Uh, they had a bunch of injuries on that team, and they still pushed Seattle to the brink. Um I think that's more indicative of it being a divisional opponent and Sean McVay's the coach. So it's going to be a tough game. I know a lot of Rams fans were like, oh, you should have beat us. You beat, you beat our practice squad. Um, at the end of the day, you know, these are still divisional games and it's still the NFL. So there's still going to be a lot of tough games to play. Um, but at the end of the day, Seattle got the win. So that's all that matters. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, Uchenna continues to be a menace off the edge for the Seattle team, a really solid free agent signing. I know it feels like we say that every week. Tariq Woolen continues to improve, you know, sets a rookie franchise record for interceptions with that sixth pick. Uh, he no doubt had a busy day as well uh, with the Rams offense still being pretty pass heavy. So happy with this win. Um, in terms of everything that took place, uh, Seattle did lose a few running backs in this game as Ken Walker and DJ Dallas had to leave the game with injury, putting Tony Jones Jr. into the game, a name that you have uh, seen on this show in the inactives list. Um, but it was important. He played some important snaps, and that's where we get to this interception that Geno Smith threw. So with both Walker and Dallas injured, Tony Jones Jr. had to take a lot of the snaps, and they used him pretty heavily. It's not like, okay, we're down to our third running back on the depth chart today. We got to avoid him. They, they gave him the ball. They ran the ball. They threw him the ball. Um, it was kind of surprising. Um, there was one play, though, where Jones Jr. caught a pass from DK uh, from Geno Smith, pardon me, and Bobby Wagner basically just ripped it out of his hands. Bobby had a big game. Can't avoid that. Bobby Wagner had a big game for the Rams. He had two sacks in the first half. He had the interception to get the uh, Rams the ball back when they were down by four points. Um, so he had a big game. And you can understand that it meant a lot for him. He was very excited throughout the game, very animated, uh, as was Jalen Ramsey, but that's to be expected. Um, so just happy that Seattle got the win. Uh, but yeah, that was, you could tell that meant a lot to him. And I can only imagine what that sort of reaction will be uh, when he returns to Seattle. So um, 
It was a big game. It was a big game. Like I said, with the 49ers uh, still at the top of the NFC West, beating the Dolphins over the past week, they did lose Jimmy Garoppolo to injury, and we'll look at that in a little bit when we get to league-related notes. But you look at the other teams in the wild card, you know, you've got some ground to make up. You've got some things to get over. you got you got to catch up a little bit here if you want to make the playoffs. Uh, the, the Broncos lost again. So your uh, your pick there improves still. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an uphill battle, and especially with all these injuries that we saw, and we'll look at that here in a second, it's not going to get much easier. It's not going to get much easier. You're going to have to deal with what you've got. We're getting into the late starts stages of the season. Guys are going to be banged up. You're going to have to find ways to win. You're going to have to find ways to win, simple as that. So um, we'll look at sort of injury-related things here and roster moves. Firstly, the inactive list against the Rams, wide receiver Penny Hart, cornerback Artie Burns, running back Travis Homer, tackle Jake Curran, defensive end LJ Collier, defensive tackle Miles Adams, safety Jonathan Abram were all inactive against the Rams. Yes, we'll get to that Abram name in a second. Um, in sort of terms of injury-related updates, uh, on the 29th, Seattle was sort of unsure if Ryan Neal could play, but they were optimistic about it. Pete Carroll said that he might miss some practice time with a pretty serious elbow issue, but could return. He did play some snaps throughout this game, um, but was on the sideline for a good amount as well. So kind of a mixed bag here. His replacement, Josh Jones, did leave the game with an injury. And we'll look at that here after we look at this roster sort of related stuff. Um, On the 3rd of December, Running back Travis Homer was listed out due to an illness. So wide receivers, wide receiver Laquan Treadwell and linebacker Vi Jones were elevated from the practice squad. Um, and we look at sort of injuries sustained against the Rams. Running back Ken Walker left the game with an ankle injury. Pete Carroll has termed it as a jammed ankle. It's not a sprained ankle. Um, and Walker's undergoing tests today to determine the severity of that injury. As I mentioned, safety Josh Jones went out with a hamstring injury, so Seattle was out uh, without him for most of the second half. Running back DJ Dallas went out with an ankle injury, and wide receiver Marquise Goodwin went out with a hand injury. So Seattle's just going to have to deal with it. You know, without running back, you know, Ken Walker, who knows how long he's going to be out. DJ Dallas has been banged up. He was going into the second half banged up. He did play some snaps throughout the rest of the game after sort of coming out, but not going to be good here. It seems like hopefully Travis Homer is going to be able to come back and play a good amount of snaps for Seattle next week, but it's going to be a tough slate for him uh, dealing with all of that. So that, as well as on the 30th, the team claimed safety Jonathan Abram off of waivers. (coughs) He is a former first-round pick of the Raiders back when John Gruden was the head coach and Mike Mayock was the general manager. Uh, Abram did spend a short visit with the Packers over the last few weeks, uh, having been claimed by Green Bay off of waivers from Las Vegas. So potentially some safety depth there for Seattle, but just considering how quick he was in and out of camp with the Packers, I'm not sure how much of an impact he's really going to be able to make, unfortunately, Uh, just because the Packers are a team that needs some secondary help. And if they didn't want to keep him, I don't know how much that means towards us keeping him. So nonetheless, I digress. We'll look at some league-related news here. On the 4th, you know, this past Sunday, uh, while the Seahawks were dealing with their game, uh, the 49ers reported they were open to bringing Jimmy Garoppolo back next season. 
on the same day against the Dolphins, Garoppolo would break his foot and he is out for the year. So that's a tough loss for them. Uh, they were trying to keep top spot in the NFC West. Brock Purdy, a rookie quarterback, filled in for Garoppolo and they would beat the Dolphins, but that's a loss for them on offense. <coughs> Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson, who is looking to cash in this offseason uh, while being on the last year of his deal, left the game against the Broncos with a knee injury, and he, he will be out from days to weeks. Uh, so looking for some severity news on that injury as well. But the backup uh, for the Ravens would be able to come back in, would be able to come in and beat the Broncos. So the Broncos struggles continue. Let's look ahead for our Seahawks here. They are seven and five. They still sit at second in the NFC West. They are in the playoff hunt. They're not in a playoff spot right now. And they look ahead to December 11th versus the Carolina Panthers. That is a 1.27 p.m. start time. It's going to be an interesting one with how banged up Seattle currently is. But the Panthers have had their own struggles uh, with their roster. Baker Mayfield got put on waivers. So there's a lot of things that they need to figure out as well going forward. So it should be Seattle's returning home. You know, I know they're going to be banged up, but you look at that hopefully as a contest that Seattle should be able to pull out of. We look ahead to our Mariners, and while, yes, it is the offseason, things continue to be really busy uh, for our ball club. So we'll jump right into baseball operations, staff hires, and promotions by the team back on the 28th of November. Uh, we'll take a look here. Dave Cameron as Senior Director of Player Procurement. He's a new hire. Patrick Hafner as Manager of Major League Video Operations. Um, I'll let you take a look here at the rest of that list if you want to pause and take a quick, uh, longer look. Dave Cameron is somebody that uh, has been pretty revered in the baseball analytics community uh, for the work that he's done. So M Seattle bringing him on should be a great help to their staff and what they're doing as well. Um, but yeah, you look at a lot of the list here, you're hoping that this group of people, you know, with the major league clubhouse managers, senior analysts, lead analysts, you know, data strategist, um, that this just makes the Mariners better and helps push them forward um, going into next season, looking to build off of last year's playoff appearance um, and advancement to the ALDS. So from there, we've got some smaller news that took place on the 28th as well. There was a rumor that the team is interested in outfielder Michael Conforto. Uh, the Seattle is, one of, is among the teams that are interested in the free agent outfielder. Conforto did not play last season due to a shoulder injury um, in the offseason before that. Um, he had some chances to sign with the Astros, and he declined that deal. Uh, he is a native out of Redmond, so that'll be interesting to see if Seattle takes a flyer on him. Um, but you know, with the moves that they're making, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if this is a, a something serious that they pursue, uh, as we get closer to spring training. Also on the 28th, the team signed relief pitcher Trevor got to a one year deal. He is a right hander. I view this just more as a sort of another guy that Pete Woodworth and the coaching staff can work, uh, work on out of the bullpen. This just seems like one of those things. I know that. Uh, this was a move when the team acquired the player out of Kansas City. Uh, a lot were like, oh, he's going to be the same deal, and then he got put on waivers. So it will be interesting to see if Trevor got, who had some interesting stats this past season, uh, ends up in the bullpen for the Mariners. So um, moving on here, on the 30th of November, the team promoted 
Andy McKay to assistant general manager. McKay enters his eighth year uh, with the Mariners. He was hired as the organization's director of player development on October 21st of 2015, promoted to senior director of baseball development on November 15th of 2021, spending all of the last seven seasons overseeing every aspect of the Mariners minor league system, including roster management and skills development. Um, so this is a big deal for McKay, obviously, to get this sort of position with the Mariners. Uh, has spent a lot of time with the minor league guys. Uh, as an assistant general manager, McKay will oversee baseball development at all levels, including player and staff development, mental skills, and education programs across the organization. He'll oversee the director of player development and help advise in roster building as well as installation of Seattle system and programs on all levels. So you want to look at that sort of thing uh, for the Mariners, but this next sort of uh, headline that we'll get to is a direct sort of impact that um, direct sort of uh, result of the impact that McKay had for the Mariners as on December 1st, the Mariners um, were named as baseball America's MLB organization of the year. Um, Jared Apoto says that we are incredibly honored to be recognized in this way by baseball America. The significance of this honor is best seen through the prestigious list of organizations who precede us whom we are humbled to join. Uh, the Mariners went 90 and 72 for the second consecutive season, earning a postseason berth for the first time since 2001. Seattle is one of six franchises to win at least 90 games in each of the last two seasons, along with the Dodgers, Astros, Yankees, Cardinals, and Blue Jays. Seattle came into the 2022 season with the number one ranked minor league system in the majors with several top prospects making key contributions at the major league level as rookies. It just goes to show you the sort of impact that that front office has for Seattle. And so when we talk about, when we go back to here, that list of promotions and staff hires in baseball operations, that's what Seattle is looking to maintain. That sort of excellence, that sort of performance from its front office, not just the players, not just the coaches, but the front office that puts those players and puts those coaches in the places to succeed. And not only just make this past, uh, past year's postseason berth, just ending the drought and just a one-year thing, make it a year-to-year -year thing that this city and this team can be proud of, you know, in contention, you know, to win the big one. You know, at the end of the day, the goal is to win the World Series. That's the end of the, That's the goal, and that's what you're hoping that hires like that when we look at baseball operations and Andy McKay moving to assistant GM, that's what you're hoping to strive. That's what you're striving for, right? So we'll look at that. So with McKay getting promoted, that left a hole in the director of player development um, in that seat. Seattle would fill that seat with Justin Toole. Now, Justin Toole is a 36-year-old coming to Seattle from the Cleveland Guardians, where he served as their major league hitting analyst for three seasons. Uh, Andy McKay would say that we are beyond thrilled to have Justin leading our player development program. In Justin's career as a player, coach, and member of the front office, uh, he has repeatedly demonstrated the ability to make everyone around him better. With this hire, we have ensured that both our staff and players still continue to grow in ways that will bring us closer to a championship in Seattle. Tool transitioned from playing to coaching in the year of 2016, serving as the hitting coach for short A Mahoning Valley in the Guardians organization. He was promoted in each of the ensuing seasons serving as hitting coach for Class A Lake County in 2017, High A Lynchburg in 2018, and Double A Akron in 2019. So 
I just sat here and talked to you about improving the front office with the trajectory that Tula's been on. This just seems like another move uh, where Seattle is improving that front office and staying better in all facets, not just the player asset, not just the coaching aspect. So we talk about that. We talk about all this front office stuff uh, on the second, the team traded for second baseman Colton Wong after sort of, uh, you know, circling the wagons a few times on the guy throughout the past few months. Uh, so the official deal is that the Brewers receive left fielder Jesse Winker and infielder Abraham Toro. The Mariners receive second baseman Colton Wong. Wong is a 32-year-old who appeared in 134 games with the Brewers this past season, batting 251 with 65 runs, 24 doubles, 4 triples, 15 homers, 47 RBIs, 46 walks, and 17 total bases. He would be getting on clip at a getting on base, pardon me, at a 339 clip slugging 430 with a 770 OPS and a 118 OPS plus. He is a left-handed second baseman uh winning gold glove honors back in back-to-back seasons with the Cardinals in 2019 and 2020. So, the Mariners did get that and cash considerations. Uh, Jerry Depoto said, "We have long coveted Colton's well-balanced all-around game. He also brings veteran leadership and a winning pedigree that will make a difference for us both on and off the field." So just sort of listening to um, general manager Justin Hollander in the press conference after this move was made, it sounds like Wong is going to be the second baseman for the Mariners here. I know that there was talk about the Mariners being interested in those four shortstops, potentially moving one from shortstop to second. Uh, Trey Turner just got signed by the Phillies today, so take him out of that running. I know a lot of people wanted Trey Turner. Um I'm not mad at this move. Uh, it's really sounded like, well, Wong had a down year defensively uh, for the Brewers this past season, but it really sounded like Hollander was very uh, confident in the ability of the organization to bring Wong back to his best potential, especially with infield coach um, Perry Hill. So I don't doubt that at all. Um, I know a lot of people were sort of, left like eh, meh with this sort of move i'm okay with it it is an improvement i would say over the sort of platooning that seattle did at second base um that's not to say anything against a certain uh fan of ours his favorite player um but it just seems like this is where wong is going to be he's going to be a starting second baseman for seattle and now seattle well, that was the thing, too, is that Hollander said that this team will continue to look to improve offensively anywhere they can. If the right situation arises, that they'll take that shot. Um, it just doesn't seem like they're going to add, though, at that second baseman spot or that they wanted to move J.P. Crawford to second base or anything like that. So um, I'm OK with it. It seems solid with Perry Hill to help Wong. It sounds like he will see an improvement defensively. I know that's something that it was interesting listening to Justin Hollander's press conference is because he said that Wong called Perry Hill the same day to get on the phone with him to get working on things. So that's, that's, that's exciting to me. Um, and he's Filipino. So it's good to see that Filipino representation on the Mariners. I'm excited for it. I'll take it. Um, but I think the Mariners did get better. I think they got better. Um, I'm not mad at the move. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Uh, but there's still some boxes that Seattle needs to check off before we head to training camp um, in 2023. So we'll look at some league-related notes. On the 28th, Miguel Cabrera announces that he will retire after the 2023 season. 
So there was some uncertainty if this past year was his last year or if he'd do it next year. We find out that Miggy will wrap things up um, at the conclusion of the 2023 season. So to some free agency updates, uh, Aaron Judge, the Yankees could offer Judge $300 million and could go higher depending on competing bids. Judge reportedly is making a decision soon. The free agent could decide on a new team within the week as the Yankees and Giants have 50-50 odds to sign the slugger. Jacob deGrom, on December 1st at 3.46 p.m., uh, the Mets believed that Jacob deGrom wants to stay and he won't go elsewhere. The next day at 5.07, it would be announced that deGrom signed a five-year, $185 million deal with the New York with the Texas Rangers. New York Rangers, Texas Rangers, hockey, baseball, my apologies. Um, so the, the Rangers get a little bit better. They're still missing a ton of pieces, um, but it's just funny to me. But the Mets did replace deGrom and sign Justin Verlander to a two-year deal, so good for them. Um, that'll be it for our Mariners here. We don't have any storm overseas news for you, unfortunately. Um, uh, as that still hasn't been updated, it's still looking for that, but we do have something pretty important on November 30th. The storm would release their 2023 schedule. So we have some updates for that. Um, it was one small note, one to be the instigator here. The Storm were using pictures of Brianna Stewart to promote this, so I assume that means they're sure she'll come back, but we'll see. Uh, the official schedule starts on May 20th for Seattle versus the Las Vegas Aces at home. That's a 12 p.m. start. It's a Commissioner's Cup game. The next one is May 26th versus the Dallas Wings at home, 7 p.m. as a Commissioner's Cup game. May 30th versus New York Liberty at 6 June 3rd at the L.A. Sparks at 6 o'clock. That's the Commissioner's Cup game as well. June 6th uh, versus the L.A. Sparks at home is a 7 p.m. start, which is another Commissioner's Cup game. June 9th versus the Washington Mystics is a 7 o'clock start. June 11th versus the Washington Mystics is a 3 p.m. start. June 13th at the Mercury is a 7 o'clock start, a Commissioner's Cup game. Uh, this is a lot. So this, if you need to pause, this is the first half of the season. Pause and look at that. And then the second half of the season here, um, Commissioner's Cup games end on June 29th versus the Lynx. So that's the last time you'll see that. It's a 40-game season. It's the first time in WNBA history that they will do that. Um, some other schedule notes. The WNBA season begins on Friday, May 19th with four games. The campaign concludes on Sunday, September 10th, followed by the WNBA playoffs. Uh, the 2023 A&T&T WNBA All-Star Game is scheduled for Saturday, July 15th. More of that information on the All-Star Game, including where the location of the game will be, is to be announced later. Similar to last season's schedule, the Storm play 11 of its first 16 games at home. After that, Seattle ends the season with 15 of its final 24 games on the road, including seven of its last nine. Seattle's longest homestand is four games from August 8th through 18th as the Storm hosts Connecticut, Atlanta, Phoenix, and Minnesota. Uh, the Storm has two separate four-game road trips from July 6th through 12th and August 31st through September 8th. Seattle has just one back-to-back -back set of games on the road this season, but it is a tough one as the Storm play Washington on July 11th and then head down to Atlanta on July 12th. Both games are scheduled for 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Month by month, home and away games. Uh, so May will have three home games and zero on the road. June will have seven home games, five on the road. July will have three home games, seven on the road. August will have six home games, five on the road. 
and September will have one home game and three road games. The TV and streaming schedule will be announced later uh, and closer to the start of the season. So it's a pretty, it's a long schedule. It's it's good to see that though, just so, uh, you know, there's possibility for more of these games to be put nationally uh, in terms of broadcast stuff. Obviously we still need to get that later on, but as I've said through this off season and when the series against the ACs ended to end Seattle's season, it's it's a big offseason for the Storm, who have few players under contract. It's a big free agency. You know, again, will Brianna Stewart even decide to play in the WNBA, let alone returning to the Storm? Who does Seattle add at the point guard spot to, you know, complement Jewel Lloyd at the two? Uh, do you give Ezzy Magbagor the reins to just be your starting center throughout the year as she was had a, having a great, great start to the 2022 season? Who do you add to round out the bench? For the storm, you know, this is these are a lot of big decisions that need to be made this offseason by Noel Quinn and the front office. You know, it's it's a big offseason, you know, in the draft, let alone the free agency period. Are you going to be able to get rookies that will impact this team in the 2023 season? So that's something that we still have to look at and get through when free agency really starts to kick off um, and to look at that before we get to camp in May. So uh, in league related notes here, we do have an update on Brittany Griner. Uh, so Griner uh, over the past few weeks has been moved to a penal colony as opposed to uh, any of these sort of jails that Russia had had her in. Griner is barely being treated human uh, with human decency in the worst penal colony in Russia, working 16 hour workdays. Uh, prisoners sew uniforms for the Russian army and police getting injured because of the outdated equipment that they're using. Beatings and torture are common. Medical care practically does not exist. It is currently unknown if Griner will be given a bed that will accommodate her height. So those are the sort of conditions that Brittany Griner is currently dealing with as effectively, you know, day in and day out, we don't hear much about this. Um, so, um, Jesus. Yeah, I wanted to give an update on that. It's just pretty insane to think about that. You know, I know that there have been uh, sort of swap proposals by Russia. I haven't heard anything on the front of whether the U.S. is pushing further for that, but it's it's just amazing that day in and day out we continue to hear, you know, less about this and the fact that she's still in Russia. So hoping that this is something that – I remember when this dropped that we thought – we were hoping this would be done in a few weeks. Now, you know, we get – we're in December – 2022 now when we're going to get closer and closer to this being one full year for Griner uh, stuck in Russia. So yeah, I don't, I don't have much to say on that. It's just pretty ridiculous. Um, we'll look over here uh, to our Sounders and some team related notes here. Uh, the team officially hired Craig Weibel as their new general manager, um, filling the hole left by Garth Lagerway who left to Atlanta uh, so let's get to know Craig Wabel a little bit as he takes over as general manager and chief soccer officer. He is the third general manager in Sounders history. He had an 11-year playing history in MLS, winning four MLS Cups, one Supporter Shield, and one Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup trophy, spending time with four clubs in Colorado, the LA Galaxy, the San Jose Earthquakes, and the Houston Dynamo. He attended Lewis and Clark High School in Spokane uh, as a University of Washington graduate and a former assistant coach with the men's soccer team, uh, spending time with the organization. He already spent time with the Sounders in 1999 and 2000 with the Seattle Sounders A-League team. 
and spent 2001 and 2002 on loan to the Sounders. Um, he was also the club's senior vice president of soccer operations and sporting director hired in April of 2021. So a promotion for him there. There was some controversy with this move. Uh, I saw a lot of people wanted uh, Chris Henderson back uh, with the club. And, you know, this this was not necessarily a popular hire, but just considering the facts that he was already in the organization, has spent a lot of time with Garth Lagerway already, getting back to their time in Real Salt Lake. Uh, and now here, you know, the local sort of flair, I think the move makes sense. I think the move makes sense. And I think he's in line to be successful in this position. Um, to note that he was named the chief soccer op uh, officer and that the sort of president of soccer operations role is open, kind of interesting. Um, but I, I think this is a solid move, and I think Seattle did well by this move. Now, the, the term of this was not announced. I'm, I'm not sure if that's something that gets announced or if that's just until he decides he wants to leave. Um, but I'm, I think this is a good move for Seattle, and it, it provides them you know, some – some direction and in another busy offseason for them. I know I talked about how busy the storm offseason should be and how impactful that will be. But for the Sounders, there's a ton that they need to figure out as well, whether it's getting a backup striker, integrating the youth into the starting lineup more often, uh, who they want to add as they try to get back to the playoffs after missing the playoffs for the first time in their MLS existence. So there's there's some stuff at hand for the Sounders, and I believe Wable should be able to help them with that. Uh, just as sort of... World Cup update on the 29th. Neither Jordan Morris nor Christian Roldan registered any minutes in Team USA's win over Iran that sent the team to the round of 16. Jordan Morris was subbed on late in their match against the Netherlands as the USA was eliminated from the round of 16 in the World Cup. Javier Arriaga did not register any minutes in Ecuador's 2-1 loss to Senegal on November 29th. So no sounder. Um, pardon me. Wait a minute. Uh, Cameroon, Nuhu did not make the round of 16. Javier Araga in Ecuador did not make the round of 16. Um, but Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan did. And it was great to see them, you know, make it that far. The Team USA, the men's national team has a lot of young talent. I think they'll do a lot better uh, when it comes to 2026 when Seattle hosts some World Cup games. Um, but I honestly didn't expect them to go that far anyway. So, um, We'll switch over to our Kraken here who played three games over the past week, uh, one of them on the road and two of them at home to begin a three-game homestand. The first of those three was November 29th at the LA Kings, which is a 9-8 win in overtime. Yes, you heard me right, 9-8 in overtime. Player of the game, Jordan Eberle, four assists, four points, three plus minus one hit. That was an absolutely ridiculous game. Uh, where Seattle and the Kings combined for 17 goals, four short of the NHL regular season record of 21. Um, December 1st versus the Washington Capitals was a 3-2 win in overtime. Player of the game, defenseman Vince Dunn, two assists, two points, a one-plus minus, one shot, three hits, two takeaways. Um, December 3rd, Versus the Florida Panthers, a 5-1 to one loss. Yeah, 5-1 to one kind of get brought back to reality here. Uh, player of the game, Jared McCann, one goal, one point, and one plus minus. Um, before we look to an overview of the week, my player of the week uh, for the Kraken was Andre Burakovsky. The forward registered two goals, two assists, four points, one game winner, 10 shots, and one hit over the past uh, seven days. So 
we look at the past week for the Mariners. I mean, pardon me for the Kraken and I'm not mad at it. You know, they reached seven wins uh, in a row. That's the most that this team has ever put up in franchise history for a win streak uh, ends against the Panthers who, you know, despite their record, despite not really being in the form of the team that we saw last year that won the president's trophy, they're a good team. And Seattle 10 seconds in Seattle gave up uh, a scoring opportunity, which that was kind of indicative of the way that the game was going to go throughout these games. And it's obviously apparent in the Kings game where you allowed eight goals the Capitals game, not so much, but if you look at the way those goals came, you could say this as well. The defensive issues that Seattle has had and the way that the penalty kill has just deteriorated is not a good sign. Um, it's it's good in the sense that you know that you can improve these things and thus your team can be better. You know, you've seen the way that this offense can produce points and goals. Um, but it's uh the defensive issues just continued to remain for Seattle, whether it's leaving players open, uh, failing to really get the puck cleared from your own defensive zone, you know, the decision making, it's not there. And someone brought up to me, is this a mentality thing? Or is this a player personnel issue? Uh, I think that there's a lot of talent in the defenseman category for Seattle. Um, but there are a lot of mistakes that are being made, and eventually it's got to stop. And it goes back to the penalty kill as well. But with the penalty kill, Seattle's just got to learn to stay out of the box. You know, I know a lot of fans in that loss of the Panthers were really upset about the officiating, and I understand that. I understand that there are calls that you're, you know, pretty questionable on <coughs> this, this, and that. At the end of the day, I've always been of the thought that you can't just blame a loss on the officials. You're going to have to find other ways to just deal with it. Or, you know, usually that game does not come down to just an official's call. That's the way I look at it. Um, I had a gentleman block me because he was so angry about that. Um, you know what I'm saying? So Seattle just had to play better. They just just 10 seconds in giving up. Uh, a dangerous opportunity that can't happen. That just cannot happen. Um, and again, I know that Florida is a talented team, but at, for most of the game, they were down to 15 skaters. They were down to 15 skaters. They were depleted. They were banged up and they blew you out. They blew you out on home ice. So, you know, you hope that's the sort of wake up call that things defensively need to be uh, worked on, that the penalty kill needs to be worked on. Power play has been fine, but it needs to be worked on as well. So, not panic mode at all you know this was a, a loss would come eventually that win streak would end eventually but um yeah you got to improve on some things there's some things that need to be <coughs> excuse me things need to be worked on here uh for this team they, they had a chance they were working their way up towards catching up to vegas um this obviously helps them take a hit but you know it's, it's not the end of the world this is just a sign that hey things can be improved on and they need to be you know so we'll look at team-related news here. Uh, he's back. On the 5th, Shane Wright would be recalled from AHL Coachella Valley um, as his conditioning lo conditional loan ended. Uh, he scored four goals in five games with Coachella Valley. Uh, and he head coach Dave Haxtall did say today after practice that Wright is going to play tomorrow against the Montreal Canadiens. Um Hockey fans all over the world, I'm sure, will be excited to hear that simply because uh, Shane Wright, who was projected to go number one overall to Montreal, um, obviously fell fourth to us. 
uh, in the draft. And when he was drafted by Seattle, he stared down Montreal's table uh, while he was up um, being announced as the pick. So um, that should be interesting, surely, not only for that matchup, but also for Wright to get some playing time fresh off of that coach, uh, that loan uh, with the Firebirds. So that's really good to see. Um, and I'm excited to watch that tomorrow uh, when that kick, when that puck drops. So uh, we look at some league news here quickly before we get to upcoming for our Kraken. On the 28th, the Vancouver Canucks are in hot water. Rachel Dory, uh, Vancouver's former analyst and assistant to the video coach, filed a human rights complaint against the team. She alleges that discrimination from Canucks. Uh, she alleges discrimination from Canucks assistant GM Emily Kosengue. Um Following her uh, the promotion within the Canucks organization, Dory shared a news article about herself on social media. Kasengoy then called her to speak, and the former uh, said that Dory had inappropriately spoken to the media about her promotion, adding, you're not important enough to be cared about. Other quotes include, no one in the media is your friend, and I don't know if you have what it takes to do the job mentally. That's pretty rough if you're Vancouver. So I won't have too much to say on that. As we look ahead to the up next category for our Kraken, they are 15 wins, 16 losses, three overtime losses on the season, totaling 33 points. Uh, they are second in the Pacific Division. Looking ahead, December 6th versus the Montreal Canadiens at 7 p.m. Pacific time as the team wraps up a three-game homestand at Climate Pledge Arena. December 9th, at the Washington Capitals at 4 o'clock Pacific time and December 11th at the Florida Panthers with a 3 o'clock start time um, on the road. So we will switch over here to our OL Reign news. On November 30th, it would be announced that Fallon Tillis-Choice left her training with Olympic Lyon early due to injury. The goalkeeper was with the parent club of the Reign just to continue her offseason training, having originally scheduled to be there through December 12th. Her trip was cut short as she is quote-unquote injured, but there is nothing serious about the injury. Now, I know that this whole thing gives uh, people were worried about it when it was announced that Tillis-Choice was going to OL to train anyway, thought maybe that she'd be going to that club but it was uh, put out there that she's just there to train through the off season. Um, as the article from OL said, it was on, she was on her holiday. So I don't see anything wrong in that going off to get some more training um, in the off season, especially coming off of a great year. You want to just improve, right? <laughs> there was concern when I saw that there was an injury, but when it was kind of deemed that it's nothing serious and it's just more, it seemed to be more of a precautionary thing. I felt a little bit better about it. So hoping Fallon's doing all right. Alan, if you can see this, I know you follow us on Twitter, hoping everything's okay and that there's nothing too serious about that. Um, and team-related news, on the first, the team signed midfielder Marley Canales through the 2023 season. Canales was one of the few players um, that Seattle had been unable to reach that with uh, when they picked up a bunch of options a few weeks ago. They finally get that done, signing her through the 2023 season. Canales said, I would like to thank Nick Pereira and Laura Harvey for this opportunity. My first season with the Reign was an unforgettable, unforgettable year of growth and development. I learned so much from our coaching staff and the veterans, and I am thrilled to be back once again. Canales made her professional debut last season, appearing in four regular season games starting one. The 25-year-old finished the 2023 season with one shot, two duels won, and 12 successful passes in 80 total minutes played. Additionally, the San Diego native helped the Reign win the Women's Cup after starting in the semifinal and appearing in the final. The Reign originally selected her 
out of UCLA in the 2022 NWSL draft as the 47th overall pick. So it's good to see Canales uh, get extended there. There's a lot of that, that draft for the rain was a pretty solid one. Um, and there's a lot of young talent for this rain team to continue to work with. You know, obviously you think of this rain club, you think of a lot of well-established veterans, you know, like the OGs and Rapino Barnes and Fishlock. Uh, Rose Lavelle has been with this club a few years now, but is obviously a pretty veteran player. Um, but you look at, you know, like Canales and Vander Yacht, um, and Olivia Athens. Uh, there's a lot of younger talent in this club. And I'm excited to see that grow as not only, you know, with this coaching staff, with Laura Harvey, but also with the veterans that are, you know, in their respective position groups, you know, uh, you know, with Canales and Vanderjot and Athens being able to learn from players like Rose Lavelle, like just Fishlock. Uh, it's, it's pretty solid opportunity, I would say, for them. Um, and excited to see as that continues. Um, and really excited to just get back to NWSL stuff. I know that there was some framework announced for their season, but I'd like to know the <coughs> official schedule already so that we can get back to Lumen Field for that. So um, some not-so-cool stuff in league-related news. Uh, the Portland Thorns owner announces that he will sell the team. Um, I see not-so-cool. The owner is not-so-cool. It was announced that Merritt Paulson will sell the Portland Thorns but remain owner of the Portland Timbers, aiming for a sale of $35 to $50 million. The next day, the Thorns head coach would resign. Ryan Wilkinson left the Thorns after a friendship with one of her players reportedly turned into more complex emotions. Players reportedly asked for this resignation. Excuse me. The NWSL commissioner, Jessica Berman, made a statement regarding the move, saying, I support Merritt Paulson's decision to sell the Thorns. He has a commitment to aid in a smooth transition for a new ownership group in Portland and the $1 million contribution to the league. This money will be used to launch a new NWSL player safety department. Coming out of this chapter in the NWSL's history, we will emerge stronger than ever before and make this a league <coughs> the players are proud to play in. The Thorns, its players... Its dedicated fan base and the entire Portland community have played a key role in our league's first decade and are critically important to the future success of the NWSL. We will continue to work collaboratively to ensure the players in the club have everything they need to be successful on and off the pitch, which is pretty interesting. It's good to see that Paulson will be out of this, but unfortunately with the Timbers, the Timbers and Thorns already share a lot of facilities. Um, it's it's not necessary. It's, it's a bad situation for the Thorns currently, so unfortunate for that um and i'm just hoping whoever takes over for the tim for the thorns pardon me uh, is able to help sort of push out any sort of that poor ownership um left by paulson uh in other news the u.s women's national team uh pay equity will come into play with the u.s men's national team advancement to the round of 16. so a landmark equal pay structure that uh, was announced a few months ago, comes into play for the national teams as the U.S. women will collect $6.5 million from the U.S. men's knockout round berth. So that's good to see that. I know that there was talk about that men, that equity contract uh, being signed a few months ago, but to see it come into play now is, is just it's really solid to see there. We move over here to our Seawolves here, who announced a few signings over the past week, including that of former number one overall pick Connor Mooneyham for the 2023 season. 
The six foot, 26 year old wing out of Rockland, California, uh, is a graduate of Life University. He made MLS history when he was selected as the number one pick in the inaugural 2020 MLR collegiate draft. In his first two seasons, Mooneyham made a strong impact in the starting lineup for Austin and was named to America's Rugby News Team of the Week three times, being awarded MLR's Try of the Week once. Uh, Mooneyham began playing rugby when he was 12 years old in Northern California. At Life University, he led the team to win the 2016 and 2018 D1A Collegiate Rugby National Championship. He was named to the Collegiate All-American Second Team and was part of the D1A First Team All-Mid-South Conference in 2020. They weren't done there when it was announced on December 3rd that this team signed Jason uh, Mason Peterson. A six-foot, 26-year-old prop, Peterson has been a key contributor for Austin's MLR team since 2018 and was MLR's first uh, 15 player of the week twice in 2022. After five years in Austin, I'm excited for a new challenge. The Sewells have two championships and coming off another championship game appearance appeals to my competitiveness for the sport. I'm excited to work with Coach Clark and everyone else at the Seals organization to hunt for a third MLR shield, said Peterson. Peterson signed with the Seawolves in the 2022 MLR dispersal draft, and he is also a current member of the USA Falcons team. So just looking at that, which is a pretty important deal, those two signings, you know, with the young, exciting player and Connor Mooneyham and Mason Peterson as well, who's already been a contributor, um, the Seawolves get better in a big way, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, both of those players having played for Austin. Um, it seems like there are players, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, I'm sure my buddy Rocky can correct me. Um, but it seems like there are players, you know, from Austin and I'm sure maybe LA that are, you know, not really keen on just spending the next season not playing as their clubs have been banned. Uh, and they want to join a team that wants to win. And both of those come to Seattle and that really helps Seattle's roster. And I'm excited to see that. So, uh, I know I've clamored for it on Twitter, but you know when when do we get started? And I know that we did get the MLR schedule, um, but that's really exciting to see, and it's uh, it's a sign of good things. So, um, with that news, though, and I say you know with good things, um, it was announced earlier today on December fifth that Andrew and yeah Andrew Andrew Duratalo leaves the SeaWolves. Uh, in a quote from Dorotalo, he said, it's great to have been part of the Seawolves journey for the past three seasons, having played the sport at the highest level, both club and internationally all over the world. It is the right time to look for my new adventure. The 35-year-old loose forward born in New York is looking for a new club to call home now. So I'm not going to speculate on whether that was because, excuse me, on one of those moves by the Seawolves, but, you know, having spent the last three years with Seattle, uh, two of those not being the best for this team, you know, record-wise and results-wise. I have to appreciate all that Duratalo has done uh, in his time as a Seawolf. So a thank you to Andrew there. So we will look over and wrap it up with our Stars of the Week segment. And both of those happen to be Seahawks. So we'll start with Bells here. Bell went with DK Metcalf. I can only imagine it was because of the performance that he had um, in that win against the against the Rams helping Seattle there uh, in a big way, not only through his receiving yards, but obviously that touchdown to win the game. Um, and I'm sure she saved DK for player of the week because she had Gino for um, 
she saved DK for star of the week because she had Gino as her player of the week for the Seahawks. So I went kind of the same route for that. We kind of did a flip flop. I went with Gino as star of the week here uh, in a big game. And the reason that I did that is through a lot of that game, you know, Gino was under duress in the pocket, didn't give him much of a chance. Um, blitzes weren't being picked up properly. Travis Homer, who picks up blitzes really well, was not in this game, obviously. And the other Seahawks running backs just weren't being able, they weren't able to replicate that toward a job that he's able to do. So Gino stepped up in a big way, his seventh time ever throwing 300 yards in the game. Um, he also is um, on career high now for most passing yards in the season. And so that's only going to go up from here. Um Gino was able to just stay calm, stay persistent throughout this game and lead a game-winning drive, something he hasn't been able to do since 2014. So another thank you to Gino there. So uh, that'll wrap things up about for us here. A busy week in the, uh, for the Seahawks as they went down to L.A. and handled business, uh, but they're a little banged up. So we'll see how next week against the Panthers goes here at home. The Mariners announced a bunch of front office sort of related moves as well as acquiring Colton Wong from the Brewers in a trade that sent Jesse Winker and Abraham Toro away. Um, the storm schedule dropped, so we have an idea of when the storm will get back to business looking to sort of set a new path for the first time ever without Sue Bird. Uh, first time since she was drafted, my apologies. Um, but it's effectively like she was with that organization throughout its entirety. Um the Sounders announced a new general manager and the uh, four players that were off during the World Cup for uh, off with their respective national teams will return home. Uh, the Kraken will look to start a new winning streak tomorrow against the Montreal Canadiens as Shane Wright will get to play once again. The Rain announced the signing of Marla Canales and will get Fallon to the choice back, so hoping that Fallon's able to rest up there. Um, and the Seawolves made some important signings but did lose Andrew, Andrew Durotalo, so... All that, still hoping uh, the best for Bell, Matt, and Rod um, as they are learning to hope for good things about their dog's health there. Hoping that uh, we'll see Bell sooner rather than later, but at the end of the day, uh, it's whenever uh, she feels that opportunity is right. So until we uh, see you again, wow, yeah, we're in December. We are in December. So happy holidays to you um as from i believe what the time of thanksgiving through december 29th there are about 29 holidays over uh, the seven over all the continents so uh, until we see you again next week in december 11th uh happy holidays and you know just wishing you all to do uh the best you can and make today a great day <laughs>